Well, good morning, Mercy Road. It is so good to be here. I love this church, love Josh, and he's so excited to be here. Been looking forward to it for many, many weeks, and now it is here. I, uh, I want to begin my time uh, really just giving honor where honor is due in a, in a couple different ways. One, just to, uh, to Josh and to Lisa. They're just such great leaders and great people. They've been great friends to us as we've arrived in town. And uh, you know, what, what other pastors do you know that would tell their people, hey, go help another church? <laughs> you know, launch on, on Sunday mornings, no less. And we've already had uh, people from Mercy Road helping us out. They've been hugely instrumental. So if there are any of you that want to help us out, we'd love to have you. We're going to be starting in September. But really, I just want to start by saying I, I love Josh and Lisa. They are phenomenal leaders and their sacrifice and commitment uh, helped to launch uh, Mercy Road. And uh, uh, props to you guys for uh, giving them this opportunity to go away on a sabbatical this, this summer. Just a great, great opportunity for a pastor and his family to do that. But as we begin, will you join me in giving honor to Josh and Lisa just as we, uh, we start off? More than, more than worthy of that. But I also want to give props to you guys for, uh, for the Multiply uh, Indiana Network. Uh, we are launching in September, but we are already recipients of your generosity. And so let me tell you a little bit about what we've been doing already. So we, uh, my wife and I, we moved here in uh, March with our three kids, and we had our first event that we did uh, in April. We had an Easter egg hunt that we did in Avon just the day before Easter. Just an opportunity to get to know people in the community, let them know we exist, and to, uh, to serve them. We were going to be ecstatic if maybe two, 300 people showed up. And then as the day drew near, we were looking at registrations the day before. Uh, we were getting a little bit scared because uh, somewhere around 500 people were going to show up based on what the registrations were showing us. So we were starting to freak out uh, because that was our very first thing. And we really don't, we didn't have our team uh, building at the time. And so we were stealing volunteers from all over the state to come and help us. Some people from Mercy Road came in and helped us as well. And uh, the morning of the, the day before Easter, that Saturday, when we had our Easter egg hunt, 1,000 people showed up to our very first event, which was just kind of blew us away. Yeah, you can give, give God some, some praise on that. We were pretty excited about that. And so uh, to date, we've been building our team, and uh, we have about 40 people that have committed to be a part of the Echo Church team. So when we launch in uh, September, there's people there to serve them. Uh, seven of them have come directly or indirectly from Mercy Road. And so I just want to say thank you to you. So thank you, Mercy Road, for what you guys are doing. And so would you join me in just kind of thanking yourselves for what you guys are starting here. Listen, this is not a, this, you don't have a normal pastor, and I mean that only in, in all the good ways, and you are not a normal church, and I mean that in the good ways as well. This is awesome. When I'm, I tell other churches that are uh, much older than you about your generosity this past December and setting aside over $100,000 directly to church planting in this state to plant churches in and around you, and they're just, they're, their jaws drop, their eyes go open. They can't believe what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Right? You are changing the kingdom, and we are, uh, you're, you're changing our lives and people over on the west side of Indianapolis. So thank you for what you guys are doing. As we begin, uh, let me tell you, my theme for today is, is just simply this. It's a kind of a, it seems like a juxtaposition, but it's this, uncertainty and assurance. Uncertainty and assurance. They, they sound like they're words that don't go together, but God has been teaching my family over the past few months that they actually do go together, not only in the same, breath, same sentence, but even in the same breath, uncertainty and assurance. As I was praying and thinking about what I would preach here today, I feel like the Spirit was just leading me to, to preach on where our family has been over the past uh, uh, several months. And so what my goal is today is really just to kind of give you a guidebook if you find yourself in a difficult season. If you find yourself in a, in a season of things just not really in your control, uh, what do you do in that process? I want to answer this question, what do you do when life is uncertain? 
What do you do when life is uncertain? Let me give you a little bit of context for our own lives. So I told you about the Saturday before Easter when we had a thousand people show up and man, we were just ecstatic. We were just blown away the very first thing that we would do that God would bring a thousand people to you know, sort of find out about what we are doing. Now, that would, if I tell you what happened the day before, to give a little bit of texture to what was actually happening inside of us, we were certainly uh, praising God for what was going on with that. But Friday night, Good Friday, the, the day before, about 6 p.m., we received a phone call that my wife's grandfather had suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. And it's kind of the life of a pastor, you know, kind of one day to the next. And there was just deep mourning that, that was in our hearts there for a good season. We're probably still in that season, if we're being honest. And this, uh, this patriarch of our family was just gone in a, in a moment without any kind of a notice. He, he's worked hard his whole life. He was working hard that day and just suddenly, suddenly fell over. And our hearts were, as you can imagine, just, just deeply you know, sorrowful during that time. Six weeks ago, uh, so this is still just the past few months, six weeks ago, I was on a Sunday night, really kind of into the wee hours of Monday morning. I received a phone call. How many of you know when you receive a phone call at 1.30 in the morning, you're just, you just get this pit in your stomach, right? You, you hope and pray, or that you're going to be mad, but you pray that it's just somebody with a, like a wrong phone number, right? That you just sort of get hang up on quickly. But I looked at it, and it was, it was my sister, and I answered it, and she was telling me that my mom was driving my dad to the hospital because he woke up and he couldn't feel the entire right side of his body. And it's just been this crazy season for us. We uh, found out soon after that he had had a stroke. And I'll share a little bit more about him in just a minute. But in the midst of this great adventure for us as a, as a family, right, we, we came uh, not only excited that we get to do kingdom work in our home state. Selfishly, it was like, hey, we get to actually be close to family. But things haven't planned or panned out quite as we had planned. Anybody else ever have that happen in their lives, right? And so there's been this season of, of leaning into God in the midst of all this uncertainty. There's been deep sorrow and fear of the unknown. But here's what I came to share with you today. In the midst of great uncertainty, we've never been more sure of God's faithfulness. And I, you know, we're in the middle of living this out. And maybe somebody needs to hear that, that in the midst of your great uncertainty, you can have assurance of God's faithfulness. In fact, catch this, the presence of a storm does not equal God's absence. The presence of a storm does not equal God's absence. In fact, the presence of a storm is often preparation for growth that God wants to do in your life. And if you'll lean into him in the midst of the storm, you will allow God's power to be displayed in ways that you never thought possible. I mean, let me say it a different way. The very things that you think are prohibiting you right now, they're holding you back, are actually the things that God wants to turn to propel you forward in him. If you will just lean in to him. Maybe you're in a difficult season right now. There's a job situation, a, a health scare, there's a, there's a relational thing that's going on. Uh, maybe you're asking the question, what do you do when life is uncertain? In Matthew chapter 8, there's a, an incredible passage. I think there's a lot of richness there for us to mine in terms of answering this question. What do you do when life is uncertain? The disciples, more than me in, in a moment of uncertainty, they're actually certain that their lives are about to be taken from them in, in, a, in a moment without notice. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Skip ahead to verse 23. It says this. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Let me stop for just a moment and just say we need to gather just one key thing from verses 18 and 23. 
Everything that's about to transpire in the coming verses, they are all because of Jesus, right? It is his fault. Whatever's about to transpire, he's the one who told him to get into the boat. He's the one that gets into the boat first, and they're just following Jesus. It seems like a good thing to do, right? You follow Jesus, like peaceful waters will come in your path, right? That's what we often think, but that's not what happens. Verse 24, we quickly find out what happens. It says this, Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. If you think the Bible isn't full of humor, you're not reading it right. <laughs> a wind and waves are sweeping over the, ba- the boat, but Jesus is sleeping. You, you got you to see the, the picture of what's happening here. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? It seems pretty obvious to me why they're so afraid, but Jesus is asking the question nonetheless. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It's an incredible story. It's perhaps one that's familiar to you, but I want to look at it specifically through the lens of what do you do when life is uncertain? So let me ask you the question, what do you do when life is uncertain? What is your default when life is outside of your control? When I was studying this week, I was reminded of a, of a story that a friend of mine told me. He and his wife were on a plane and they were traveling with another couple. And as they were flying, they uh, suddenly encountered extreme turbulence, so much so that they lost altitude rapidly. And when they lost altitude, the, the oxygen mask, the overhead mask fell down. And he said in the commotion of everyone putting the mask on and people screaming and just really upset, he said he went to look at the other couple to see if they were okay. And he was surprised to see that they were actually arguing. (laughs) In the midst of all this going on, they were arguing because what had happened was her mask fell down and she put her mask on, but his mask didn't fall down. And so after a moment or two passed, he said, can I share your mask? And she said, no, (laughs) get your own. He's, I have no mask to grab. Now, that, was, that, that moment was just sort of exceeded by the next when the pilot came over and said, hey, I just want everyone to know you're okay. When we lost altitude rapidly, the, the, the mask automatically dropped, but you don't need the mask. Everybody is fine. Can you imagine the awkward discussion that the husband and wife had <laughs> thereafter? We know what her default was in the moment of crisis. I wonder for you, what do you do when life is uncertain? What do you do when life is outside of your control. In a season of uncertainty, what, what do you do? While we can see that the disciples are completely losing it, they're freaking out, there's actually a lot that I think we can mine from this to help us in our own seasons of uncertainty. And the first thing is this, would you stay close to Jesus? Stay close to Jesus. Now, this seems like a no-brainer, right? Of course, that, that's, that's what we should do. We should stay close to Jesus. But in my personal experience, and moreover, in my pastoral experience over the years, when people encounter things that are outside of their control, they typically don't run to Jesus. They actually run away from him. And I want to tell you today, would you run to him? Would you run to his side, regardless of your storm, regardless of your uncertainty, would you run to him? Now, you may not feel like it, During this season, you might be fearful, you might be scared, you might be uh, tired, exhausted from what's going on, you might be sad, but would you stay close to Jesus? And the next question you should be asking is, well, how? How do I stay close to him in the midst of these difficult seasons? The first thing is this, would would you just worship him? 
Now, I'm not talking about necessarily just coming in here to church and worshiping him. I'm talking about on your own, when you wake up in the morning, when you're driving to work, when you're driving home, would you just sort of adopt this posture of living a life of worship wherever you are, whatever's going on around you, would you worship him? Second Chronicles 16 says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I wonder if you can picture it. What this scripture is saying is that God scans the horizon and he is looking for people whose hearts he can strengthen. And the ones that he's going to strengthen are those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those who are sold out to him in worship. He's, he's looking for worshipers. God is drawn to people when they worship. So if you find yourself in need of God by your side, the thing you should do, the scriptures would tell us, is worship. Worship is magnetic to God. Whenever I got the phone call that my dad was in the hospital, we're in Avon, and he was taken to a, t a hospital in, in, uh, in Terre Haute. They live over on the west side of the state. It's about an 80-minute drive from Avon to Terre Haute. And I didn't know what to do. When my, when my mom was uh, texting uh, us, she was saying that they didn't really know what was happening just yet. They didn't know it was a stroke. They were talking about brain surgery. There was all kinds of just sort of thoughts swirling through my mind. And I didn't know what I was going to find when I got there. And so for 80 minutes straight, I just grabbed out my phone. I, I turned on Spotify and I picked certain songs and I just worshiped because I wanted my mind to be focused not on the problem, but on the one who's above the problem. Right? I, I didn't want to just focus on all the things that could happen and I didn't even know. I wanted to focus on the one that could change whatever's happening in the hospital. And so I just, for 80 minutes, I just worshiped and just focused on God. If you find yourself in a season of uncertainty, and you're needing to stay close to Jesus, would you just worship him? Even if you don't feel like it. In fact, you probably won't. But when you worship him, you draw God right to your side. The second thing is this. Would you dive into scripture? Would you dive into scripture? Proverbs says this, 420, it says, My child, pay attention to what I say and listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. In fact, let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to your body. But you dive into scripture. The second day that I drove over to the hospital to see my dad, again, and there was still plenty of uncertainty and things we didn't know. So for 80 minutes straight, I listened to one message, and then the rest of the time, I just listened to the Bible app. I got out the Bible app, and I just listened to uh, certain scriptures over and over because there was all these emotions that were flooding in me. You know what that's like whenever you're going through something. There's fear of the unknown and uncertainty. There's all these the emotions that are swirling in you, but I didn't want my emotions to lead me. I wanted to be solid on the anchor of God's word. To, to be clinging to the things I know to be true. And so if you find yourself in uncertainty, would you dive into his scripture? I love how Solomon says, he says, let, let the words penetrate deep into your heart. Third thing is this, would you pray like your life depends on it? Pray like your life depends on it, because it does. See, God loves these seasons, not because of the anxiety that necessarily happens inside of us, but God knows these can be benchmark moments for us. If we will lean into him when we have these storms come up in our lives, we'll look back and these will get to be stories we tell others of God's faithfulness. Pray like your life depends on it because it does. Psalm 107 says this, Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Now, this was written centuries before Matthew 8, but catch what it says. He calmed the storm to a whisper and he stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as they brought them as he brought them safely into harbor. Whenever the doctors or the nurses would, would come into my dad's room and they would give us information, sometimes it would seem like you were waiting for hours you know, to get information, and sometimes all the information would come flooding all at once from different doctors and nurses and therapists. And 
There'd be moments where we just didn't know what to do. And so we would just kind of rally together as a family and we would just pray. And we just remind one another, the doctors have a word. Sometimes it's a good word, but we're just reminding ourselves they don't have the final word, right? Like God has the final word. And so regardless of what they were saying, we were leaning into God and asking him to do great things. The first couple days that my dad was there, they were saying that he could be there possibly for up to three weeks. He'd be just in the hospital for a week as they were monitoring him. But then he was absolutely going to need two weeks of physical therapy. That's what they just kept saying day after day. He's going to need two weeks of physical and occupational therapy. Well, as I was driving over on day four, I called my mom and I said, hey, I'm on my way. How are things going? She's like, you're not going to believe this. They're not, they don't want him to be here for uh, three weeks. They actually came in today and they said he's doing so well that he can't stay here any longer. <laughs> Like the, he, he's got to go, he's got to go home. And see, I, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when we pray, when we lift our eyes to God, that he will come and he will speak peace into the midst of our storms. Would you pray like your life depends on it? The fourth thing is this. And the, the first three, you'd say, yeah, I would expect a preacher to say that, although I do think they are life-changing. The fourth thing, this might catch you a little off guard, it's this. Would you find Jesus seeking friends? And you find Jesus seeking friends. You see, when you're going through the storm, you don't need people around you who are telling you what's happening. <laughs> you already know what's happening. You already know the circumstances. You already know the situation. You, don't, you, you know, the, you know the, uh, the old saying, right? Misery loves company. Uh, you don't need that. Uh, you need people that are focusing your eyes up. They're telling you, you need to worship. You need to be in scripture. You need to be praying. You need to be lifting your eyes up to God, not just becoming bitter and, and, and wallowing in it. Right? You need people that are lifting you up. I like how... Uh, Solomon says this in Proverbs 13, one of my favorite Proverbs. He says, when you walk with the wise, you become wise. But if you associate with fools, you get into trouble. In other words, he's saying, I can predict your future based on the people that are around you. And if there are people around you who are bringing you down in the midst of the storm, I can predict how this season's going to go. But you need Jesus-seeking friends in your life. That's one of the things I love about Mercy Road. Between the huddles and the outposts, there are amazing opportunities for you to get Jesus-seeking friends around you. If you don't have that, would you go out to the desk on your way out and say, I need Jesus people in my life, and they're going to help you do it. You need Jesus-seeking friends in your life. When life is uncertain, what do you do? Number one, stay close to Jesus. The second thing is this, would you hold on to what you know to be true? Hold on to what you know to be true. Let's go back to Matthew 8 for just a second. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Now this may seem like a harsh statement, right? Like after all, some of these guys are fishermen and if fishermen are afraid of this storm, it's probably a pretty significant storm. But you would understand why Jesus says this if you get a little bit more of the context of what's happening. See, in this chapter alone, which means just over the preceding hours, if, if you know, longest days, the disciples have seen over and over Jesus perform miracles in and around them. They, they've seen it over and over. In fact, there was one moment where there, a Roman soldier came to Jesus and said, my son is in a different city and I need him to be healed. You don't need to come to me. In fact, I'm not worthy of you coming to my town, but you just speak the word here and he'll be, he'll be healed over there. And it happened. The disciples saw that happen before their very eyes. There was a man that had a leprosy and he came to Jesus and he was needing healing. And in a moment, he went from having disease all over his body to just being washed clean. Uh, right before the disciples get into the boat, right before they get into the boat, it says that there were many who had, uh, they were demon possessed and they had uh, uh, physical ailments. And it says that Jesus healed every single one of them. So before they get in the boat, they see this miracle after miracle, and then they get into the boat, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? We're drowning. Where are you? What are you doing? 
But I also actually think there's a little bit more that's happening in this as well. In fact, if we look to Mark chapter 4, the the exact same story is happening, but Mark gives a little bit of texture to what's going on that I think helps us to see beneath the surface of why Jesus gives such a strong remark. Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says this, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. We don't find that out in Matthew. He's, He's not just sleeping like he's sleeping comfortably, soundly on a cushion, right? And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, here it is, do you not care that we are perishing? See, Mark helps us to understand what's really going on. They're looking at Jesus and saying, don't you care that we're about to drown? See, they're not necessarily doubting or that it's not that they lack faith and that Jesus has the abilities to do something about this. They just lack faith that Jesus actually wants to do something for them. They believe that Jesus can do great things. They just don't know if Jesus wants to do great things for them. They don't lack faith in his abilities. They just don't know if Jesus loves them. Are you catching that? Don't you care about us, Jesus? We've seen you heal. We've seen you do miracles over and over and over again. And when when we're in need, you're sleeping in the boat. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Has there been a a time or a season in your life when you felt like God was uncaring? I would say for most of us, the answer is probably yes. Was there a time when you felt like God was uncooperative and he just wasn't getting in line with your program, right? Ever had a time when it just seemed like God was late? Like, when, God, when are you going to show up and change this situation? We've been there over and over and over again. Most of us have have seen these kinds of opportunities where, God, where are you? Work isn't going the way that you want. There's a situation you need it to change, and it's just not changing no matter how much you pray. Your kids are going through something. As a parent, you want to fix it for them. You want to kind of turn them back in the right direction, but there's nothing that you can do about it. Maybe you're worried about your future. There's some financial challenges that are going on, and you don't see any way possible to fix it. Maybe for you, like in my family, there was a health scare. And there's just fear of the unknown of, of what's coming about. And suddenly, you forget all the things that God has already taught you. See, the disciples, they know that Jesus loves them. But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the winds and the waves, they, it gets completely disorienting. And we know what that's like. We, we know when, when things are happening in our lives and it, it, things are just crashing. It seems like one after another, it's disorienting. And we forget what God has already taught us. If you find yourself in a season of uncertainty... Would you say these two things to yourself today? The first thing is this, God loves me. Would you say it in your own heart? Would you say, regardless of what I feel right now, regardless of what's going on around me, I can trust, I can know that God loves me. In fact, it says this in Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Would you just say to yourself right now, God loves me, right? Regardless of what's happening around you, you can, you can take that to the bank. Here's the other thing you can say, God wants the best for me. God wants the best for me. Now the situation may not dictate the, that, that feeling true, right? There's things that you are wanting to change and they are not changing, but you can say with confidence that God wants the best for me. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can ever be against us since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all? Won't he also give us everything else? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? We often wonder that, don't we? 
And when we hit into a season of storm or uncertainty, we think, well, I thought God loved me. If he did, I wouldn't be in this mess. Well, that's not the case, is it? We see it happen with the disciples. He's the one who told them to get into the boat. Doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. He loves you and he wants the best for you. Would you just keep hanging on to him? In fact, when you encounter a new season of uncertainty or difficulty, you need to take the things that God has already taught you and bring them into this season. So often we just, the things that God teaches us through other seasons of storm, we leave them behind. And so we get into the new ones and we forget it. Don't, don't forget that God loves you. Don't forget that he's with you, that he's for you, and that he wants the best for you. You don't have to doubt that. He wants the best for you. In fact, when you look at Jesus hanging on the cross, right, that's what Paul was saying, you never have to question it again, ever. He sent him to the cross for you, not just the person next to you or in front of you, not just the person that you think is like super spiritual and faithful, for you, for you. He died on the cross for you, and you never have to question his love ever again. But you hold on to what you know to be true. And here's the third and final thing. When you, when you find yourself in a season of uncertainty, invite God to redeem your circumstances. Would you invite God to redeem your circumstances, regardless of your situation, regardless of what you've done or what's happening in and around you, God can redeem your circumstances, right? In Christ, there is no hurt, there's no pain, there's no struggle, there's no past that's wasted. Nothing is ever wasted, regardless of what you've done. Maybe you came today just to hear that. Nothing is wasted in Christ. When you lean into him and you invite him into your circumstances, he can redeem anything. In fact, it's what he does best. God wants to redeem your situation and your circumstances. But if you live bitter, if you live frustrated, if you live angry, if you're trying to figure it all out on your own, you don't allow God to work in the situation. But when you invite him in and say, God, I want you, I, I need you to redeem this situation, you're allowing his power to be displayed in an incredibly significant way. I want to look back for just a moment. Matthew chapter 8. The disciples, they learned something that they could not have learned any other way. I don't know if you caught this. See, here's the deal. When you find yourself in a season of uncertainty, when you find yourself in a storm, there are things that God wants to teach you, and he can't teach it to you any other way. It's this season. It's this season. And he shows the disciples something. I wonder if you caught it. Let's look back at it for just a moment. Matthew chapter 8, verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, here it is, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? See, this is Matthew 8. They haven't made it to Matthew 28 yet. They're, they're, they're just figuring who this man named Jesus is. They're, they're, they're figuring it all out as they go. They don't yet know that he's the one who can control the winds and the waves because he's the one who created the winds and the waves. They don't know that yet. But without this storm, they never get to see that. What kind of man is this? You see, Jesus knows that they're going to face challenges up ahead. He knows they're going to face even greater storms. And he hopes that in this moment, Right, they'll learn something that when they get to those storms, they can look back and know 
Right? He's, he's someone who's with them. He's going to see them through the storm. He knows that they're going to face religious authorities who are going to beat them. He knows they're going to face governmental authorities, some of which they're even going to kill them. He knows that as a, as a church, they're going to be spread across the, the known world. And every time they face a storm, they can either rise up and say, this is something God's going to use to show us something new about himself, or it can be an inducer of fear. And he's wanting to teach them. Let's play the what if game for just a second. What if, what if the disciples never get into the boat? What if the disciples get into the boat and Jesus sees the storm coming from way off and before the disciples even see it, maybe they were looking the other way, Jesus just sort of calms it down and they never, they never encounter the storm. Everything's just peaceful. It was just a nice ride across the lake that day. Or what if the storm comes and instead of turning to Jesus, they just jump ship, right? There's really no reason to stay in the boat. The boat's filling with water. What if any of those things happen? They never get to see him as the one who controls the wind and the waves. I wonder if this season in your life, how would things change if you just leaned into God? If you'd invited him into your circumstances, try, instead of trying to control it all yourself, figure it all out yourself, would you invite him in to your circumstances? I wonder if at some point down the road, when God sees you through this storm, maybe you would come to a conclusion and say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that he even works in my place of business? I didn't know God could do that. I didn't know he could, he could change things and he could move through this situation. What kind of man is this that would even move in educational environments? What kind of man is this that can, that can work in my finances in ways I didn't even see possible? What kind of man is this that could heal diseases? What kind of man is this that can take my child who was straying away from him and bring them back into the family of God? What kind of man is this? You'll never get to see it if you don't stay with him. So, sometimes we, there's things we never learn because we jump ship far too soon. Would you invite God to redeem your circumstances so he can show you something that he could only show you in this season? What if this was happening so that God could show you something new about himself? Maybe it's happening so God can show you something new about you and who you are in him. Maybe this is going on so that God can give you a greater passion for the kingdom of God. Maybe he's trying to raise up more compassion in you for others who might be going through something similar to you. What if God is doing something new and you, you just didn't even see it coming along the way? See, what if what you thought was prohibiting you and holding you back was the very thing God wants to use to propel you forward? There's a moment at the end of the book of Job that I think speaks so well. To this, if you find yourself in a season of uncertainty. If you don't know the story of Job, at the beginning of the, the, the book of Job, we find out that he's just an incredibly blessed man. It says that he has more wealth than you can ever imagine. He had a, a large family and he had large uh, amounts of land and livestock, but it says that, that Satan comes and it says he just, he takes all of it. He just attacks him, takes almost everything away. By the end of the story, we learn that God comes and he blesses Job and he gives him more at the end than he even had in the beginning but it took this season for Job to discover something. At the end, he says, God, I've heard of you at the hearing of my ears. In other words, I've heard about you or I've heard you do great things in other people's lives. He said, I've heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you. He's brought to a greater space or a greater uh, revelation of who God is. I wonder if in your life you would say, man, I, I've heard of God doing great things in other people's lives. I, I've heard about other people praying and then these crazy things happen. Would you just lean into God today and say, God, I want to see you with my eyes. Stay with him. 
Right? You, you got you to stay with him through the storm. So often we give up before God ever gets the opportunity to show us what he wanted to teach us. Romans 8, Paul says it this way. And we know that God causes everything, not some things, everything to work, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things God will work together for our good if we just stay with him, we, we lean into him. You don't have to worry about it. In his time, in his way, when he's ready, he'll speak peace into your storm. God wants to get you to a place that on the other side, it actually becomes a story you get to tell others of his faithfulness. You see, a storm's presence does not equal God's absence. A storm's presence does not equal God's absence. A storm's presence often means that there's something that God wants to bring about in your life that he couldn't do any other way. And if you'll lean into him, you'll see his power displayed in an incredible new way. The thing you thought was prohibiting you, God actually wants to use to propel you into a future that would blow you away if you could see it today. Would you pray with me? There's two groups of people I want to pray for. The first group is this. Maybe you're here today and you say, that's me. I am in a season of uncertainty. Or maybe you'd even describe what you're going through right now as a, as a storm. Like this, the winds and the waves are coming and they're just, they're just they're beating like heck in your life. Would you just say to God right now, God, that's me. God, I've been in the storm and God, I, I, I need to see you today. I need to know you're close. I need to be reminded that you love me and that you're with me and you're for me and you want the best for me. Maybe in this season, you've been turning to your own way or your, your own wisdom to figure this thing out. Would you just confess that to God right now? God, I've been, I've been doing this on my own. But God, no more. God, I'm going to stay close to Jesus. I'm going to remember what I already know to be true, that you love me and that you want the best for me. God, I'm going to invite you into these circumstances instead of trying to figure it out on my own and push you away. Would you just tell God that you believe that his way is better than your way? Just be reminded that God loves you and he wants the best for you. A second group of people I want to pray for today is someone you would say, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I've never just laid it all on the line and given it all to him. And maybe you're here today. There's, God has worked out circumstances in your life to have you in this spot in this moment today so that you could surrender your life to him. God would do that. He's, he's amazing like that. He would bend heaven and earth to bring you home. Or maybe today you heard for the first time that your entire past, all those things you've done, maybe things that have happened to you, all the hurt, all the pain, all of that could be redeemed and used for good. And you didn't know that. Maybe today you'd want to give your life to Christ. If that's you, would you pray with me right now and would you just say to him, God, I've been going my own way, and today I'm going your way. Lord, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sins, that you rose him up from the grave to give me new life. God, I'm walking towards that life today. God, would you help me? Would you empower me to live my whole life in you? And Lord, for every one of us, Lord, we, we look to you. God, we trust that you are a good God. You are a great God, and Lord, you wanna move on our behalf. In fact, while we thought we were walking alone, we've actually been walking with you all along and you're wanting to do something amazing. So God, we continue to look to you. In fact, in this moment, as we worship you, God, we don't worship you in a, 
just from a place of hurt. God, we worship you from a place of promise. Lord, we believe that you are a good God. Lord, that you are moving things to move us towards you. And we trust you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.